Hey everyone, welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. You're listening to episode number one. My name is Eunice Park and my husband Eddie and I started Hug Church April of this year. Our vision for the church is to create a safe community for people to really rest, learn, and grow. We're located in the heart of downtown Fullerton in beautiful SoCal and want to welcome any locals to join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. We have an amazing time of worship, getting to know each other, learning from our lead pastor, Eddie, and always, always provide lunch. So please join us and stick around. So on this podcast, you'll hear the audio version of our weekly sermons and the current series we're in is a good one. Are you guys ready? It's all about vision. Will everyone get ready to dive on in? All right. It is December, everybody. Oh my goodness. Can you believe that? It's December and you have to start thinking about Christmas gifts, okay? So what were some things that, actually, I don't want to like out anybody here. All right. What's a weird thing you heard that somebody wants for Christmas without giving away their name? Yeah. An accordion. The thing that Steve Urkel played, right? All right. Okay. Wow. Okay. What else? Is there anything else that's something weird or interesting somebody wants for Christmas? Yes. Was it my wife? <laughs> was it all my was it all my clothes and shoes? Anyways, um, just kidding. I don't have that much. Um, so this is the thing about Christmas. Christmas shopping has become very very weird lately because I don't know if you feel this way, but it's increasingly more difficult to shop for your loved ones these days. Mostly because they just buy whatever they want anyway, right? So it's like, what do they want, all right? Hypothetically, hypothetically, say that you have a brother-in-law, okay? And all he wants is a tattoo. And it's so hard to buy him anything because that's really all he wants, right? Hypothetically, not saying this is a real scenario or anything, okay? So it makes it difficult for all his loved ones, his wife and his loving brother-in-law to get him what he wants, okay? Okay. But yeah, it's becoming hard, and one of the things that my family is doing is we're actually trying to spend less, okay? We did this series two weeks ago, or not series, but I spoke two weeks ago about this addiction to shopping and spending, and a lot of people were very devastated and nervous about about that topic, right? But if you remember, the most important thing about the, the, to transform or change your mindset with spending and to actually save money you need, it's important, you need vision. Dude, this guy, man, every time I ask a question like that, you know exactly what I said. It's amazing, okay? Vision, okay, vision. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. I might talk about it today, but I have, if I run out of time like I normally do, I might do another, another part two about vision, all right? And we might even take the whole month, honestly, because Vision is so important. When you have vision, you can be unstoppable, all right? Take, for instance, LeBron James, the GOAT, the greatest player of all time. I said it when he entered the league at 18 years old, all right? And I got so much crap for that, okay? So you can feel I'm a little indignant, okay? But now everybody's like, oh, he's the greatest of all time. Yeah, I've been saying that for years, okay? LeBron James, and he had a vision. What was his vision? Not, well, 
Yes. <laughs> but his vision was to win a championship. But not just, not just any championship. Because he won one in Miami and he didn't stop there. What was his ultimate vision or his short-term inconvenient vision? Bring it home, which is where? Cleveland. His vision was to bring his hometown, a city that has not won a championship in like over 50 years, the worst team in the franchise, to win them a championship, to bring Cleveland a championship. And did he do this? Yes, when he was down 3-1 in the NBA final series against the Golden State Warriors, the greatest team in, the, in, the, in that year, and he did it. He did the impossible. That is what can happen when you have vision. You can be unstoppable. Okay, I know this, this, is, this example has been very masculine and, 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 and chauvinistic, all right? Take, for instance, Beyonce, okay? The greatest artist, I think, of all time, maybe, maybe not, depends, you know, but we have a lot of Beyonce fans in this room. Any Beyonce fans? All right, most of them men, but, you know, Beyonce, okay? Did you know Beyonce, when she, when she worked out, when she was Destiny Child's Beyonce, okay? I'm not talking about Bay. okay? I'm talking about Destiny Child Beyonce, when she would work out on the treadmill. This is a very famous story. She would put a picture of an Oscar, an Academy Award on the front of her treadmill and run. Did you guys know that? It is our vision and goal to win an Oscar. Now, has she won an Oscar? Does anyone know? No. But she has been nominated when she was in this movie called, I think it was Dreamgirls, but I could be wrong. Because I am not an expert Beyonce trivia person. But I, think, I believe it was Dreamgirls. She was nominated. Okay? But she still, she still goes after that. When, when she, she was Destiny's Child. Who is she to think she was going to win an Oscar? All right? African-American woman. She, but she had that vision a long time ago, running on that treadmill, burning all those calories. Okay? She had that vision. When you have vision, you can be unstoppable. Okay? Anybody know anyone that went to med school or is in med school right now? Okay, your friends who are in med school, if you're in med school, those people have vision, <laughs> okay? Because getting into med school is almost impossible. It's so hard. You have to have grit and an incredible desire for that vision, okay? When I, um, when I met Eunice, my wife, some of you guys know this story, I wanted to marry her within the first five minutes of meeting her, okay? As you can tell, when she speaks, you can understand why, right? You just, I got to marry this chick, right? And I had a vision, okay? But it took me four and a half years to execute that vision, but I did it. And not only that, I had a vision that I want a son with her, and I want a daughter with her. Actually, daughter was the ultimate vision with her. And guess what? If our second was a son, we'd be having three kids, we wouldn't stop if we, until we hit that daughter because it's like, what's the point of marrying this girl if I don't replicate her? Because more, the world needs another one of her in the world. It's, it's, like, it's so fleeting if I'm going to marry this girl and not duplicate her, right? Right? Okay. You guys are about to walk out the door, right? It's like, when is he going to get to this, like, the bi any Bible for her? Anyways, vision. Okay, I'm talking about vision, okay? It's very, very, very important, okay? Um... I got so sidetracked. This rarely happens to me, okay? But I got to know where I am right now in my message because I got a little 
Okay, here we go. Okay, okay. Yeah, this is why it's important, okay? Because I, I, I'm reflecting at the end of 2018, okay? And I'm starting to, what are, how did I end this year? Did I end it the way that I want? Did I do what I wanted to do? Did I start a church? Yes, I did that. All right, checkbox, right? Did I become a better father? I don't know, ask my wife, but hopefully checkbox, right? Did I be a better husband? Whatever, right? There's these things that I did, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reflection I'm having as we're ending this year of how I've lived my life 2018. And there are some parts of my life that I just kind of let happen. I just existed. And those are the parts that I think about that I'm not too happy with, that I'm not too happy with. So why we're spending this time in December talking about vision is because 2019 is around the corner, and I would like all of us to start thinking about what do we want to accomplish in 2019? What do we want to change in 2019? And I'll, I'll tell you right now, it doesn't just happen. It takes vision. <laughs> it takes vision, okay? So, some people are worried because it's like, vision, what does that mean? Very, very easy. Vision, if you want to know vision, it starts with a simple question. It starts with the question, what do you want? What do you want? Now, here's the problem. Last week, I spoke on codependency, which 99.9 .9 people have in this room, right? I said that list, and everyone's like, oh, my God, I'm in a codependent relationship, right? So this is the problem. When you see that question, what do you want, a lot of us who are in codependent relationships are struggling with saying, I don't know what I want. <laughs> I don't know what I want. I know what other people want for me. I know what my parents want for me. I know what my girlfriend wants for me. I know what my boyfriend wants for me. I know what my friends want for me. But I don't know what I want for me. All right? If you are having struggling with that, you might be in a codependent relationship. Okay? So, if you remember, I, I, um, I, I, I talked about the three voices. Okay? So, if you're, you, let's say this is your ego. All right? Because codependency happens in the ego. You, you have multiple voices in your ego, all right? And one of them is a small I, which is you. You are there in your ego, I promise you. You might not think so, but you're there, all right? You have a voice. You exist in your ego, okay? But there is this big gaping hole. When the Holy Spirit left or God left the human psyche in, in the garden, right, where we talked about that in Adam and Eve, there was a big gaping hole where God used to reside. We call that the spirit in the Bible, okay? Now, what replaces this big hole is who is your God in your life? And for most of us, who has been that God figure in our life growing up? Parents. So, mom and dad but let's face it really mom has the power right in <laughs> in the family okay from first experience okay mom has a lot of power and when it comes to children okay when it comes to children all right so so you have all these voices 
okay? So it's, it's you, you have your mom's voice, you have your voice, and, and then you're learning about God, right? And then you think, is it God's voice or mom's voice or is it my voice, right? There's a lot of conflicting things in your ego and a lot of, that's what you struggle with. So when you, when you read, this, read the question, what do you want, it's not, it's not as easy as you think for some of us, right? What do you want? Now, Okay. Now, there's two um, there's two paradigms when it comes to this with God. Okay. Now, the question that I want to f- us to focus on today is: Does God does God even really care about what you want? All right. Does God care about what we want? Because for some of us, we might have grown, in, grown up in a tradition where it's nothing about what we want. It's all about what God wants. God doesn't care about us. We only care about God, okay? So God never cares about what we want. Never. Okay? It's all about him. It doesn't matter about my vision. It doesn't matter what I do, Right? Some of us have, might have been from that tradition or that upbringing. Other, other, uh, other of us, or sorry, others um, might have come from a tradition where God always cares about what you want, what you want, all right? Always. It's all about you. It's about what you want. God fulfills your dreams. If you want a private jet, God will give you that jet. God cares about you having that jet. If you want a house, God will give you that house. God will give you that car. You want that job, God will give you that job. You want to make a million dollars, God will give you that million dollars. Right? Some of us have been from that tradition, okay? Now, what happens if you are in the paradigm where God, this question, does God care about what I want? And you think God always cares about what I want. You tend to be in this camp, which is called the prosperity gospel. All right, did I spell that right? I don't think so, right? There's an E somewhere, but I don't care. <laughs> All right? Prosperity gospel. Do you guys know what the go- prosperity gospel is, anybody? Everybody? Right? It's the health and wealth gospel, all right? You know, and honestly, if you're from that, I don't really judge you. It's like, that's fine, okay? Uh, it, now, on the opposite side, if God... Um, if you believe nothing matters about you, it's all about God, you tend to be what they call, it's called poverty gospel, right? Like, it's, like, God wants you to be poor. God wants you to suffer, and that's it. You're supposed to just be in pain and sacrifice everything for everyone. So other people, right? Have you, have you guys know the two paradigms that I'm talking about? So, so this question is really, really difficult depending on how you view God. And that question, does God care about me at all? Does God care about what I want? Because if you believe that God does not care about what you want, it's going to be hard for you to create a vision, a specific vision for your life. Right? And if you, um, if you think God only cares about what you want, um, there, is a, there is a risk of being Delusional, okay, delusional, okay, because God has a plan that's greater and beyond us, all right? So 
we want to be somewhere here, all right? And that is what we're going to talk about. What is the answer? What is the answer? Does God really care about what we want? Does God care about what you want? Does he never care? Does he always care? Or is it something in between? Is it scenarios? Well, what do we do? We're going to look at the scripture this morning, okay? So we're going to look at um, the book of Mark, okay? Now, if you hate the Bible, this is a bad week to come to church, okay? Because I am going to do some teaching today. Now, if you're a nerd like I am and maybe 1.3 others in this room are, then you will love this Sunday, okay? The Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. So here's the thing. I know Mark, this book, really well, specifically because I went to a seminary called Talbot, and they have this uh, class called Exegesis of the Gospels. Now, you would think exegesis means basically nerdy studying of the, of the Gospels, right? But here's the thing. You would think when you name a class exegesis of the Gospels, you would study all the Gospels. But for 13 weeks, we just study one Gospel for some reason. And guess what Gospel was that, that was? Mark, right? So if you know anyone from Talbot, they know the Gospel of Mark really well. I don't know why, but we study Mark. Okay, so Mark. So think about Mark. It is a gospel, all right? Now, you think gospel is a biblical genre? It's actually not. It is a Roman genre of the Bible, or sorry, Roman literary genre. Gospel means biography or epic or story. So you can kind of think of it as like this biography of a great military general or commander. So there was actually the gospel of Caesar, the gospel of Augustus, the gospel of so-and-so, okay? So when you read gospel, it is a literary genre or pattern. There's stories, there's conflict, and there's editing, and it, it, it highlights how this person became the ruler of the Roman Empire or world. And so they use that format to tell the story of Jesus. So here's the thing. There are a few characters in the gospel of Mark. One being Jesus. Okay. I think he's there. I think he's in, in, that, in that book. All right. There are, who else is in the gospel story, you think? Where's Mark? He's actually not in the gospel. People think he's the naked man that ran away, but we're not sure. Okay. But he's actually not in it. <laughs> uh, but the disciples. Okay. Gosh, I'm so bad at spelling. This is amazing. <laughs> the disciples. Okay. I'm on time. Uh, Jesus, the disciples, there's this people called the Pharisees. Okay. Uh, and the crowd. Okay. So, why do I name these four characters? Because Mark has a pattern. All right. There's a story. And depending on the story, you're looking at how people think about this guy. Okay? It's crazy, right? Too many arrows. Too, many, too much going on, but I promise it'll make sense towards the end. Okay? So everyone can't figure him out. Everyone are confused and misunderstand who he is and what he's here to do. Okay? Now, of the three, of the three characters, disciples, the Pharisees, the crowd, who would you sus suspect gets Jesus wrong? Yes, 
correct. They get him wrong, okay? They think he's bad, okay? Jesus is bad, all right? Who else? What's that? Crowd? So the crowd is like um, if you're a Rams fan, okay? When they're good, the Rams are great, right? And if they're bad, the Rams are bad. They're terrible, right? That's the crowd, okay? Fan weather, all right? They shift to whatever the majority opinion is, okay? That's the crowd. And you see that when Jesus is like, you know, doing magic shows and like doing crazy stuff and miracles. They're like, this guy's amazing, right? And when he's like, people are stomping on him and spitting on him, he's like, well, I don't know, wow, yeah, kill him. I don't even know that guy, right? That's the crowd, okay? Now, what would you say, how does Mark display the disciples in the gospel? What's that? They also don't get it. You've heard me preach before. <laughs> Just kidding. So yes, they they don't get it. They're also not good examples of uh, understanding Jesus. Actually, they're they're even worse. All right, this, that's equal sign. All right, they're they're times two. Okay, <laughs> okay, they're negative times two. There's like, how do you get Jesus wrong so bad when you live with them for three years? Okay, that is kind of the the thing about the disciples. Then who who gets Jesus right? In the story, all of these characters don't understand Jesus. They don't understand the gospel. They don't understand discipleship. Who gets Jesus right in the gospel of Mark? You guys know? If you look at every chapter of the book, and right, if you read it through, it always ends, every chapter, with some unnamed beggar or lame person who is like a nobody. Do you guys... You know, right? Like the the um, the demoniac, the person that's a leper, the the cripple, the blind man, the woman. Like these people who are unnamed and are small figures. If you look at them, they are the ones that get Jesus right. They are the ones that respond the way that we should be responding. Okay, so the unnamed minor characters right? They're the ones that get Jesus right, okay? Follow me? This is important context for, because we're going to look at a story, two stories side by side in the same chapter, right, where the disciples are asked by Jesus, guess what question? What do you want? And then they say it. And then you see how Jesus responds, and they respond. And then you will, we're going to see in the very, right after that story, Jesus asks an unnamed nobody, what do you want? And we see how Jesus responds and how this person responds. All right, you excited? This is going to be amazing. I told you, if you hate the Bible, this is going to be a terrible week to come to church. All right, but here we go. So Mark chapter 10. This is James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder, okay? They were nicknamed the sons of thunder because they were brash, they were arrogant, they were aggressive, they, you know, they were just big guys that, like, were very, very strong, very, very vocal, and so uh, they, they came over and spoke to him. This is Jesus, teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor, and Jesus asked what do you want? What is your request? He asked. Okay? And this is what they said. They replied, 
When you sit on the glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and one on the other on your left. Okay? And this is how Jesus responds. Okay? But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. All right? What do they not know? Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to baptize, be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And what do you think the sons of Zebedee said? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able, right? True to being the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, right? Brash, egotistical, arrogant, right? Then Jesus told them, this is a bad example, by the way. So if you're like, we need to be like the disciples, this is not one of those situations, okay? Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So Jesus is telling them, you know what? You are going to do it, whether you like it or think you can or not. But are you willing to do it without the reward? Are you willing to do it without getting what you want? Okay? It has nothing to do with what you want. Okay? But if you want that, this is what it's going to cost. Okay? So very, very interesting dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. Okay? And then, after this, we look at an example of Jesus running into a blind beggar okay then they reached jericho now if you know what jericho uh if jericho is jericho is the city on the way to jerusalem okay so when you read that that's a kind of a big um um something right you're you like oh something's gonna happen he's almost at Jer jerusalem because everybody knows that he died right and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Okay? Now, I highlight this because, hey, pastor, you said unnamed people, right? Well, yes. All of them are unnamed until chapter 10. Yeah, because this is the last unnamed person before Jesus dies. Now, why is this person named? Why is this pers unnamed person the most significant of all of them? Because, for one, everybody knew who this guy was. Bartimaeus was arguably probably the biggest evangelist and um, validation of who Jesus actually was. Because he is, do you, do you know the song? I was blind, but now... I see. Yeah, that's this guy, okay? The fact that Jesus healed a blind uh, man who was blind since birth, who everybody knew to be Bartimaeus, everybody knew his family, the son of Timaeus, he's blind, right? So that's why this is significant if you're, if you're uber nerd and you care about that kind of stuff, okay? Okay. Very, very significant. Was sitting, and you're like, hey, you said they're unnamed, but this person's named. That's why. Okay. Sitting beside the rope. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then what do the crowd say? Be quiet. Shut up. 
Many of them yelled at him, all right? He's like, don't, who are you to think you can say this and yell, all right? He shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. That's what Jesus said, tell him to come. He's shouting. He really wants me to do something for him, okay? Again, unlike the disciples who, do you remember? He said, hey, Jesus, can you do us a favor? <laughs> Calling Jesus over to them, asking him to do them a favor. Very, very different, the posture, the approach, okay? And so this is what uh, happened. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you, Bartimaeus, threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. And here is the question. Jesus, again, parallel to the story right above it, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. And instantly, the man could see. And he follows Jesus down the road. He followed Jesus down the road. All right? Very, very different. And you know what road that was towards? Jerusalem. It was to his death, to his crucifixion. Right? James and John, the disciples, they hitched their wagon on Jesus when he was hot. Okay? When he had all the fame, money, prestige, you're attaching yourself when they're hot, okay? The blind man attaches himself when Jesus' stock price is about to drop low, okay? The economy is about to recess. It's about to hit its lowest point ever. And he follows him to the cross. That is why Bartimaeus is named in the Gospel of Mark, okay? So, here's the thing. Now, our original question, does God care about what you want? Did, did God care about the blind man and what he wanted? Yes, he did, and he gave it to them. Now, did Jesus or God care about what the disciples wanted? He did, but he brought up an important point. You are not willing to pay the price. You do not even know. It, it's not about, it's not, he knew that the disciples were going to sacrifice and pay the price, but it was the fact that the disciples didn't know. They acted like they knew, but they really didn't know. And he brought up, you do not know what you are asking for. You do not know how, how terrible it is. How much suffering there's going to be. The price that is paid for that. So, does God care about what we want? Yes. Yes, he does. If you're willing to pay the price and sacrifice. Yes. Does God care about what you want? Yes. If you're willing to pay the price and sacrifice. Isn't that good? I, come on, guys. I'm, this is amazing stuff. I'm, it rhymes and everything, so you remember, so you don't walk out of here and remember what I say, right? Yes, if you're willing to pay the price and sacrifice. The blind beggar, he was healed, and he followed Jesus. 
He was willing to pay the price and sacrifice. Jesus healed him because in his heart he knew that this man has faith, he's desperate, and he will really know the gift that he is being given. He would know the worth of it. John and James, they don't understand. They feel they're entitled to it. They don't want to pay for it. They don't want to sacrifice for it. That's what it takes to really say what you want, ask for it, and live out your vision. Now, there is a there is this thing in theology. Okay, ooh, I'm getting theological now. Okay, so if you don't like that stuff, again, I promise you, I'm not always like this. But gotta keep the nerds happy, right? Sometimes. Okay. So there is something called, okay, it's not super fancy. It's called the Trinity, okay? I should be able to spell this right at least. The Trinity, okay? The Trinity. Everybody understand the Trinity? God is three persons, okay? So there is this theory, okay? I'm not going to say whether or not it is like you should believe this or not, okay? There is this theory in Trinitarian theology that before the world began, before the world began, God, in three persons, all right, all right, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, they had this conversation. They had this comment. They're like, isn't this amazing? Like, this is great. Like, there's love here. And, and Jesus, or sorry, the second person of the Trinity, this theory says before the world began, this person asked the first person of the Trinity, I would, or maybe it went like this, okay? The father asked his beloved son or the second person, what do you want? I love you so much. I want to give you what you want. Second person says, I want a bride. I want to share what we have and multiply it, scale it, Make it even more, more love, more peace, more joy, more happiness, more everything. But I want, I want a, I want a bride. I want a people. I want a body. And so God's like, man, you really want that? Oh, are you sure? So, and the reason why is because, because if I do that, they will be like us, but not really like us. Because in order to have love, this loving relationship, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they have independent free will of each other. But it happens to be aligned altogether. That's the way that they have love. Right? One doesn't control the other. Okay? They are independently have free will. To, it, I would argue... To actually have a true, intimate, loving relationship, both parties need to have free will or choice. Do you agree? And it's okay if you don't, actually, but that's just my opinion, okay? Because I don't believe you can really love if you're constantly trying to control the other person. Now, God is like saying, well, or the first person of the Trinity is saying, well, if we give this person free will, ooh, there's a lot of risk to that. Okay, because we were always in existence. We never had to create another being outside of us to have free will. So it's like, ooh, this is going to be a problem. This can go south in too many ways. Okay, 
Is this getting too philosophical for some people, or is this fun? Okay, I'll, I'll, I promise I'll make this like relevant very, very soon. You like, give me 20 seconds, okay? Okay. So they they start they start doing this thing, and you know what the thing is? They start. God is has all knowing, right? He can see beginning, future, end, and they start they start thinking of all the scenarios that could possibly happen. Okay. So they go scenario one, two. Three, to infinity. Okay, so hey, you guys watch Avengers Four. Is it Avengers Four? Infinity Wars? No, that's three, right? Now everyone has watched that movie, right? Because you didn't watch that. Don't make me feel. Don't write a bad Yelp review on us because I am notorious for uh, giving away movies, but it's been too long, right? It's safe, right? I can reveal what happened, right? Everybody. Is this safe? All right, please do not write a negative Yelp review. All right, this is, come on, guys. Churches can't, they can't survive, you know, like negative Yelp reviews there, okay? So this is what happens. Do you remember that part in Avengers when Doctor Strange, he does the weird, <laughs> right? And he, do you remember? He's just like levitating. He's like, <laughs> what was he doing? He was seeing every possible scenario. Right? I think in the movie it says that he like saw through 14 million scenarios, right? And only one, one of the scenarios, the Avengers survive and defeat Thanos. Okay? He's just like, but, all right? Everyone's laughing, okay? But, but, it was only one scenario. But was that a good scenario for Doctor Strange? No. Because guess what? He had to. <laughs> he didn't live, right, in the, in the movie? I don't remember. It's been so long ago. Okay, so Doctor Strange, Tony Stark, Iron Man had to live and not him, right? That was the only scenario because he sees Tony Stark alive, right? And he's like, oh, there's only one. So God and the Trinity, so again, I'm, I'm, kind of making this comic book version of Trinitarian theology right now, but they have this discussion, okay? The second person wants a bride, wants to be married, wants to share and expand the love of the universe to another being of his own, and they see that, hey, this, pop, this world right here, world, you know, 972X5 right here, hey, this is the best possible world. We, this is our, this is, this scenario actually fulfills our vision, our results. He's like, oh yeah? And then they kind of look at what actually has to happen in this world. And Jesus is like, wait, what? I have to die in that one, in that scenario? Like, wait, is there any other way? And like, you know, God being like, you know, Dr. Strange, is like, <laughs> right? He's like, nope, that's the only way, <laughs> right? Again, right? Silly. And it's a theory, okay? Again, I'm taking sophisticated dead Germans and trying to make them relevant to us, okay? So you don't have to learn German, grammar, or Hebrew, whatever, right? So you don't have to learn all this stuff. And, but, but there's a theory that before the world began, God within himself in three persons had the discussion. And the second person, because he wanted something, God asked him, what do you want? He's like, I want a bride. I want a body. 
I want to expand this thing that we have that's so amazing, love, joy, peace. I want that to expand more than just outside of us. And God's like, okay, well, this is what you need to do. And before the world began, the second person said, I have to become a man? Wait, I'm not even going to be rich in that scenario. (laughs) I'm not going to be royalty. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be a baby. I have to be Jewish. I have to, right? He's like, what? I have to die? And and what? I have to be hated? Like, he saw that, but he's willing to pay the price and sacrifice. He's willing to pay the price and sacrifice. So God does care. God does care about what we want. God cares about what you want. He does. I don't want us to fall into this category where he never cares about what we want and we just have to suffer and live in poverty and be poor. But also, we don't want to be delusional and think God only cares about what I want because that's not true. That's not the faith that I can prescribe. God does care, yes, if you're willing to pay the price and sacrifice like Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we want to invite you to stay connected with us. Find us on Instagram at HugChurch or at HugChurch.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed this, won't you hit that lovely subscribe button and leave us a comment? We'd love, love to connect. Until next week, a huge hug from Eddie and myself.